Hello, my name is Jeff Young, the LinkedIn guru, and you're listening to Slapcast. Hello, welcome to the Slapcast. This is Shannon Lee, your host, and this episode is episode 14. Uh, could you do me a solid and be sure to subscribe? And if you hear stuff you like, please share the Slapcast as well. You can find it anywhere pa- podcasts are found. And if you ever want to reach out to me, you can do that, slapcast at relayleadership.org. Specifically, I'd love to hear from our listeners about what you'd like to hear on the Slapcast, both topics and guests. We love to address topics from a servant leadership's perspective. So send your ideas my way. I want to hear them. Today, we have Jeff Young, who here locally in Columbus is self-described as the LinkedIn guru. Now, Jeff tells me that guru actually stands for, I've never heard this before, but it stands for general understanding relatively useless. Now, when I think of the word guru, I don't think of useless. I actually think of something that's actually like an expert or, you know, someone who has you know, as I say, brings their unique value. So he prefers instead gets to uncover the real usefulness. It's kind of a mouthful, but that's what he likes. Now he provides free LinkedIn workshops year round. And let me tell you, I have met with him and he knows all things LinkedIn. It's, he's a treasure trove of information from where you should put what information, how you should craft your bio. And I'll be honest, LinkedIn is somewhat of a, a mystery for me. I look at it. I use it a little bit. I, I scroll through the content, but I actually feel like there's so much content on LinkedIn that A, I, I feel like it's hard to get noticed. So it kind of makes me feel like, is this worth my time? And then I see other, other people who really leverage LinkedIn tremendously, like Jeff and a few others. So I'm going to keep working at it, and I'm going to be asking him about it more on today's episode. So let's roll. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. It's great to have you on the Slapcast. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate you asking me to come. You know, I was sharing with the audience in the intro how LinkedIn is such a mystery to me still. Um, Now, we've had a short conversation. I think we met, I don't remember when that was, several months ago. Mm -hmm. I came over to one of the places that you work out of, and you talked to me a little bit about what you do. And I feel like it helped me understand a little bit better, but I know I don't leverage it the way that I should. And so I'm excited for the Slap Class listeners to learn a little bit more. Our purpose isn't just to, to train them per se, but just to kind of give them some of your insight and um, background of kind of what got you here. Mm-hmm. But first, I'd love to know how you became the LinkedIn guru. Okay. <laughs> well, um, actually, I, if you look guru up in the dictionary, uh, the definition of guru is teacher. And um, I've always been a teacher in one form or another. But um, when I retired about 11 years ago, I decided that uh, I would just teach in a different chapter. And I kind of searched around and I also knew that I wanted to continue to network. So I asked my network for advice and they said, well, if you're going to network with professionals, you have to be on LinkedIn. 
And I'm going, okay, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's it. And at the time, I already had a LinkedIn account, and I was on LinkedIn. But like most people, I let it sit there and just, you know, (laughs) yeah, oh, it's your online resume, right? No, no, it's not. So uh, I decided that the best way for me to use LinkedIn was to start teaching it to other people. And uh, so I did that, started teaching at least a, a couple of sessions a month, uh, usually for a nonprofit, giving back to, and to some of the nonprofits that I have run or, or supported. And I got better and better and better at it, a little bit better at it. And um, ultimately, I had several people, because LinkedIn can't be learned in all it in two hours. It's yeah. just not just not possible. As a matter of fact, one of the disclaimers I say, if you think I'm going to tell you everything about LinkedIn in two hours, I don't talk that fast. It's just not possible. <laughs> so um, th- one of the folks that I had come to several of, I mean, six or eight of my seminars. Now, I'm not sure what that says about me. Either I'm a rotten teacher or he's a slow learner. <laughs> no, I don't think it's either one of those things. But but he said each time we would come to something, he learned something new every single time and put it to use every single time. Well, at about the end of the sixth session, he comes up to me afterwards and he goes, you know what, Jeff? You're a real guru at this. And I went... Hmm, guru. Yeah, <laughs> I like, like the sound of that. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 I think I'm only a guru because other people say I'm a guru. And of course, uh, to to be fair to it, I looked it up as well and going, okay, what's the definition of guru? And right there it is in the dictionary, teacher. And I went, yes, that's me. So that's how I got to be the LinkedIn guru. And then two sessions a month became four sessions a month became six sessions a month. At one time, it became nine sessions a month. Wow, uh, too many. <laughs> So I started tailing back and saying no a couple more times. But I I do about five sessions a month now, and and, uh, it's being a teacher. And as I said, I love being a teacher. It is is literally, and I don't mean to be cliche here or or trite, but it it is my why. Yeah, that's amazing. So what was your career before you retired? Um, I basically, I don't know whether my propeller shows over my head or not, but I was an <laughs> IT geek. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I had been in IT, uh, well, I was in IT so long that it was before they even called it information technology. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I first started back in the 70s in, in IT, they called it business data processing. Oh, interesting. That's so, uh, history. Yeah. So from that perspective, uh, I'd been a programmer. I started out as basically a down and dirty programmer, got paid just about what, you know, what programs get paid when they start out, like slightly less than dirt. Mm-hmm. And um, then got to be a little better at that and switched jobs a few times. And, and ultimately when you, um, being a part of IT, I found it very satisfying because you could accomplish something with it, even back in those days. Mm-hmm. Now, nowadays, there's so many tools available for any individual that you can just go out there on the web and do your own thing. I mean, as an illustration, this podcast. I mean, we're running the podcast from your home. Yeah, and, that's and a good point. That was never possible in, in, in the old days. So I, getting better at it, and when you get good enough at it, the IT portion of things, someone comes up to you one of those days and they say, hey, you're really good at this. How'd you like to manage other people who are doing it as well? And I went, sure, I'll try it. Sounds like fun. Gave me an opportunity to be what? A teacher. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I started doing I'm, I'm that. glad you looked at management that way, just as a side note, because a mistake that often gets made is we take people who are talented at one thing, and then we have them lead other people, and that doesn't always translate. It's like you have your top salesman, and then you make 
salesperson, I should say, and then you make he or she the sales manager, and then they're terrible managers. And your mindset and the way you approach that from was the ability to teach them. In other words, you were interested in their development as a key marker in servant leadership. Of course, it's yeah. my job to connect that well, dot for everybody. Um, but as a leader, that would be something I would look for as someone who's interested in not being the boss, but interested in developing others. That's what makes a good manager. It, uh, well, it's what makes a good leader as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes a difference. I, uh, I don't think, uh, I don't think I, I'm, I don't even consider myself a leader now. Okay. Uh, except from the standpoint that I lead by example. And, and, and so, you know, uh, when I'm telling someone, when I'm teaching someone, okay. And I shouldn't say telling, I should say teaching mm-hmm. okay, because it's, it's a different thing. I think the best teachers, they, they show you where to look, but they don't tell you what to see. Okay. And so, and I've used that quote many times. I think it's anonymous. Uh, you know, if I could give credit, I would, but from that perspective, uh, you, you have to have that, gene or something, or you have to want to do it in your heart of hearts in the first place, because otherwise you're not going to be very good at it. Yeah. I love that approach because, and really to even differentiate further, managers uh, can show up a couple different ways. And one of them is viewing their role as telling people what to do. Now, as a leader, manager, whatever your position is, if you're a leader of people, there are times where you have to be more directive, right? Where there's like, we need to get this done. That That is a part of leadership. However, the primary function is instead to almost be like a leader coach, where instead of I'm saying, okay, Jeff, I need you to get this done. Instead, I'm saying, okay, Jeff, what do you want to accomplish? And how can I help you get there? That's yeah. a totally different conversation. And it's a totally different approach that's focused on what do I want for this person? Yeah, two aspects, two aspects of that really uh, spoke to me and, and the first aspect was um, a, a leader can also be a mentor. Mm-hmm. A manager can also be a mentor. Okay, and and from that perspective, uh, the, the folks that I managed, I loved being that mentor as well. I, I got lucky and worked for the, with a, a rather. A large company for quite a while, 16 years, and they had a mentoring program. And the good part about it was that as a mentor, I was not their manager. Okay. So I could really be their mentor. I could, I could listen to them say things that they would not say to their manager and those types of things. It made a big difference. That's super important. And, and I'm sure in your years and your career, both, um, as a, as your self-described IT geek, as well as the LinkedIn guru. Um, if you look back, um, is there anything you wish you would have known when you started out? Wow. I, I guess I wish you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. It's a dumb phrase. I wish there I was a way around that. Though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's no, there's no bi- biosmosis. You, uh, I mean, yeah. they haven't perfected the fact that you can put on headphones when you go to sleep and become something by the morning. Right. right. Um, and, and so it just takes that experience. But ultimately, again, I, I wish this for everybody. You, you've got to figure out what your why is. And by doing some things and and having good managers and good leaders to follow, I was able to figure that out over time. It, it, it does take time. But fortunately, again, I, I got to that point where, as I said, my wife's being a teacher. So that ended up being, for the most part, being a project manager for most of my life, 30 plus years. And, and uh, managing, yes, IT projects, but you know, a project manager can manage anything. At yeah. least I believe they can. And that's what taught me that, you know, that 
that taught me why I enjoyed that so much is because I was bringing them along because I was helping them to become something that they wanted to be in the first place. Because I had, because as a part of the mentoring program, you actually ask folks, what are your goals? Yeah. Where do you want to go from here? And, and that became extremely important to me. It, it's, it's a, again, it's an old quote, I, but I got this from a gentleman that I used to work with, uh, one of the last places I ever worked with. And I didn't really, I knew it, but I didn't really I wasn't able to, to phrase it. I wasn't able to, to articulate it until I heard him say it. It's actually a famous quote from um, Mark Twain. Oh. Mark Twain is purported to have said, there are two important days in your life. The first day is the day you're born. The second day is the day you figure out why. It, it, it spoke to me so much about, wow, okay, yeah, I did. I did figure out why. And now, yeah. and now I got to go do it. Now I got to do it every opportunity I can. You know, when I talk to people on the podcast, I often like to talk about their failures. The reason why is because um, so many times when we have a public forum, like a podcast, a social media post, um, even if we have a blog or we're speaking, right? People are looking at us. And when you're in leadership, and I would argue, I think you are a leader. I think anyone with influence has is, is a leader and, and you definitely have influence. And so regardless of how we view our leadership, the moment you stand up in front of a group of people to give them a LinkedIn training, the moment I stand up in front of a group of 300, like I did a few weeks ago and, and, and had a talk for 15 minutes, even though you're not thinking of it that way, people are looking at you as someone who has accomplished something and, and not that you're perfect, but that you, um, might be a subject matter expert, let's say. And so I love talking about failures because I think it's an important reminder to the audience to understand um, the role, the positive role, I think, that failure plays in our trajectory of our lives. And so um, we don't have time to go into all of them. I know if you're like me, you've got plenty, excuse me, you've got plenty to choose from. <laughs> um, but is there any one failure that you think... Um, that you'd, that you'd feel comfortable sharing and that you also were able to leverage um, to your benefit, even if you didn't realize the benefit until a little bit further down the line? Well, one that comes to mind, I think immediately is back in the day, I got to work with a lot of different people and learn from a lot of different people at this small company that I mentioned before, Ernst & Young, mm -hmm. <laughs> a small company. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so um, one of the failures for me was a time in my life that I got into a situation where I was working for a person who was not a leader. As a matter of fact, they weren't even a very good manager. Mm. And the failure is that I didn't bring it up to anybody. The failure is that I was, I, I was unfortunately, willing at that point in my life to put up with it. Okay. Nobody should have to endure that. Uh, you have to be true enough to yourself to bring it up to somebody to, to negotiate with that person themselves or, or whatever. But that was a failure in my mind because I spent literally years okay, of my life wasting time because I was working for someone who was not going to help me and not going to help anyone else there as well. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that, that's, that's on me. That really is on me ultimately. Um, but so, so, you know, what I, what I learned from it is to be more forthcoming and, and, and be more open and, and listen to other people and take it to a mentor wherever you can find that mentor. You know, again, one of the best mentors I ever had in my life was a part of Ernst and Young. And, you know, he, he told me 
because I spent 16 years with, with the firm, that was a, a while. That's, that's a little longer than most people spend anymore you know, nowadays. And people switch jobs every three to five years, it seems like, anymore. Yeah. So as a part of that, though, when he was my manager, when he was a part of the process, he told me something again that I think that really resonates with me. And, and, and he said, look, you know, if you're going to move on, okay, it's okay if you want to, you know, because actually Ernst and Young liked it when one of their consultants went and be, to be a part of the client, okay, because now they had a, you know, they had a lock in at the client because they already had a, you know, somebody who'd been a former employee. But he, his point was, if you're going to, if you're going to move, okay, I don't mind that as long as you are running to something as opposed to running from something. I, I say that too. Yeah. That's so true. And the other thing too, that, um, that I pull from what you said Sometimes having that harder conversation, that, that conversation you regretted not, you know, not having one of the hardest things to convince people, we work with a lot of young professionals in one of our programs and many of them, um, often feel, um, not trapped in their jobs, but maybe there's a difficult conversation they need to have with their supervisor and the fear is, well, if I do that, then something bad's going to happen. And it's hard to convey, um, not necessarily convinced because I don't know if you can convince people of anything, but, but to convey the idea that by acting in according, in accordance with your values, that even though it might cost you something in the short run, it will actually get you to where you're supposed to be. Even if there's in the short term, some negative backlash, but it's so hard because that means you actually have to walk through pain. We spend too much time avoiding pain, I think. And what ends up happening is we, essentially are just trading one kind of pain for another. So if, if I think about pain as a neutral thing, that's just going to happen. I have one pain on one side, which is a supervisor that, you know, is not being a good leader and, and maybe doing some dubious things, whatever. And I'm aware of it. And then I have the pain of living with it. So the pain of having the conversation and the pain of living, I'm still, which pain am I want to live with? Just pick. Mm-hmm. And I have found so far that the harder path is choosing in accordance to my values, but in the long run, it's actually put me more quicker where I need to be. Yeah. But it's hard to convince people that on the front end. I would agree because, um, you know, again, and I don't really regard them as failures. I, I guess some people do. A lot of what I do when I teach, and as far as LinkedIn is concerned, I'm teaching a lot of people who are in the job search process. Mm-hmm. So they're going through the grief cycle that, you know, yeah. the, everybody knows what that is. Well, the, the point being, though, is that they feel like they're not worthy because they've been downsized. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I've been downsized twice in my life. As a matter of fact, one of those times was actually from Ernst & Young. Way back, the very first time I ever got downsized was in 1985. And I thought I was going to die. I, it was so traumatic for me. I looked in the mirror and I, I had to find that second head. There's something wrong with me here somewhere. <laughs> and, and, and so, you, but as it turned out, it was back then just the beginnings of a standard operating procedure that happens a lot nowadays. And that was an economic move. Okay. Yeah. So that's where it comes from most of the time. The good news was that I learned a little bit from that one that that first time I got downsized, I found something better because the first time I got downsized, I found Ernst & Young uh-huh. after that. So it ended up being a good thing, right? So yes, it was painful, but but from that perspective, out of that pain comes something much, much better. Now, even the second time I got downsized from Ernst & Young, you know, I thought 
again, I was ready for this one to some degree because after 16 years, I knew the writing was on the wall and some of those kind of things. And I knew I could see the environment changing, you know, so I'll give myself a little bit of credit for being smart enough to know what was going to happen to me. <laughs> but after 16 years, I wasn't going to leave. Okay. I, I could I probably should have, I probably could have thought about it, but I, I, I was enjoying myself enough that I was going to stay. Well, the second time, I, I, I experienced a little bit of the pain. I got things rolling, and I knew that I had to do the same kind of things that I did the first the first time to get out there and network, get out there, you know. And both of these times were even before LinkedIn even existed. So, you know, part of the, my problem from that standpoint, is, as far as Ernst & Young is concerned, is that I was on the road 85% of the time. Wow. Well, guess what kind of a network I had in Columbus, Ohio? <laughs> Zero. Not much. <laughs> and I had to build a network in Columbus, Ohio. So I got downsized in July of 2001. I was doing okay. I was getting my ducks in a row. I was doing what I needed to be doing, you know, and, and putting those cards and letters out there and, of course, doing the resume thing, and et cetera. Well, then there's this thing called September 11th, 2001. Yeah. You talk about mm. pain, okay? So I know where those people, the reason I brought this up is I know where those people are, are going through when, I t- when you talk about pain of losing their job. Because when September 11th came around, do I look any shorter? I should have because it cut me off right at the knees. There was absolutely nothing happening. Nobody was hiring. Nobody was talking. I, it took me 14 months to find a job. Wow. Okay. So because of that experience, I can relate to those folks who are going through it now. And I, understand, and I want to give them something. And that, to me, one of those things, it's not the only reason you should be on LinkedIn. Because I think every solopreneur, entrepreneur, you know, especially if they're in any kind of a business-to-business environment, they ought to be on LinkedIn. Because it's a branding tool. It's a networking tool. It is a sales tool. All of those things are there. But it is still, first and foremost, a job search tool. And that's why I want to give that to those folks. Because I think that can help them shorten that process. Now, you give away all of these workshops? That's, that's correct. I do 60 workshops a year, and I do not get paid. Now, most people who retire and then say, I'm going to do something in this last part of my life here that I'm going to give back, what they really do is they start a business. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with this. And oh, they, might have an, they might have an arm where they give stuff away, but you give it all away. Well, well, there's absolutely nothing get wrong with getting paid for something. Sure. I'm, and, I'm, I, and I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody I mean, else because I it. give it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, it was a situation, again, in terms of when I finally retired for the, for the final time, okay, uh, I had actually gotten back into the Columbus environment, but I still, working full-time, didn't have as much time to contribute back to the community. Being on the road 85% of the time, I didn't, again, have any network. I couldn't contribute to the community. So my goal after retiring was to do something that would be a contribution of some sort, okay? Now, totally unrelated is all the other stuff that I did in my career and all the other stuff that I did in my life, which is also, by the way, getting lucky and finding the right kind of financial manager and keeping that same financial manager from 1986 to 19 to, to 2017 when I retired, to, excuse me, 2007 when I retired. Okay. So, so all of those ducks fell into a row. And when I got to the position of being able to do it, I also got to the position of being able to do it for no cost. Yeah. 
And, and to some degree, that's a part of my brand. Yeah. Okay. I think it's awesome. Well, it, thank you. I, I, I'm not looking for kudos or anything like that. It's just, it's just a, I, I, can, I do it because I can. Okay. And it even gives me something to talk about because if you look at my LinkedIn profile, which I hope everybody actually does, you know, <laughs> go look for Jeff Young. Now, look- I know there are a bunch of Jeff Youngs out there, but there's only one LinkedIn guru out there. So you, <laughs> you should be able to find me. Okay. And the, the point being is that when you read my headline, you know, my, my professional headline, which is my brand is I get paid in three C's, mm-hmm. coffee, conversation, and occasionally chocolate. Yes. <laughs> and Chardonnay is a really good C. Chardonnay. <laughs> if, as long as we're on the C thing. Mine's Cabernet. Yeah, but, there you, you know, go. Perfect. Potato, potato. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, that's become part of my brand because now I'm, I have conversations with people. They'll, they'll come back to me and say, what C do you want today? I'm going, I don't know, compliment? Can you give me a compliment? It'll work. <laughs> So what are just a couple myths or misunderstandings about LinkedIn that Mm. you think would be important to share with folks? Well, first of all, um, I think, let's let's say this one right up front. One of the myths about LinkedIn is that you have to pay for it in order to get anything out of it. Okay. Okay. Um, There are reasons to pay for LinkedIn. Uh, Salespeople do it because they need the extra capability. Recruiters do it because that's where it kind of got its start in the first place, and they need the extra capability as well. But when people ask me if they should pay for LinkedIn, I keep telling them that the fact of it is that everybody I see out there, honestly, 90 to 95% of the people I see out there haven't even scratched the surface of the capabilities of the free version. Yeah. So I got to ask, how would paying for it make you any better at it? Yeah. So get good at it. As a matter of fact, uh, I, lo- I, lo- I love it. Uh, it's one of the things that has really been uh, useful for me is I've been able to, to talk with people all over the world because it's a social media product, right? And one of the ladies from Australia, okay, a lovely lady that I've actually had video conversations with uh, a couple of times, uh, says, says it really, I think, really well. Okay, if you want to, want to do anything on LinkedIn, get good or get off. <laughs> she, she's that blunt about it because of the fact that just learn what it takes. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll harken back and finish this one up with a story about my mom as well. Okay, everybody's got a story about their mom. But, <laughs> but my mom, you know, told me when I was growing up, and this, I relate this to LinkedIn, she told me that when I was growing up, she said, Jeff, I want you to belong to a club. And I'm going, club, what, what are we talking about here? We, we were, you know, from Circleville, Ohio, we didn't really have, you know, clubs. Even. <laughs> and, 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 I, and she said, no, no, it's a free club, okay? I want you to belong to a club that will help you for the rest of your life. I want you to belong to a club that is a club of people who know how things work. Because if you know how something works, you can be effective and efficient at it. Oh, yeah. So that's awesome. So now that's okay. the first myth. So I'm I'm curious if you could give me one big mistake all of us are making or majority of people are making on LinkedIn, what what would that mistake be? Well, honestly, the mistake is not something you do to your profile. It's not something that you have on your profile or don't have on your profile. The mistake that most people make is not being out there consistently. Okay. Uh, it's a matter of just being there in order to engage with your network. Uh, it is. Uh, here's another one for you. Sorry, I'm full of these things. There's a, there's a guy by the name of Angus Grady who has a quote for everything. So I, I'm modeling myself after him. Uh, he's in the UK as well. Angus Grady, where else would he be from? Uh, uh, yeah, and now he's going to know that I mentioned him on this. He and I converse every single day. Uh, and the... the the, the, the point here is that from the perspective of if you want to get anything out of LinkedIn, you get out of LinkedIn what you put into LinkedIn, mm-hmm. okay? And 
from that consistency standpoint, it, it's it, all of those things that it, that it can be a tool for marketing, a tool for branding, a tool, you know, a tool that could take you global. Uh, it, it just never ceases to amaze me that I can network with people who are 16 time zones away from me. Mm-hmm. It's just nuts. That's uh, amazing. Well, the technology is there nowadays. And with LinkedIn, I'm talking to other people who do what I do around the world, and I am learning from them. And hopefully I'm teaching them a thing or two as well. But that's the biggest mistake people make is that they don't actually get out there consistently. What should we so, be putting out there consistently then? Well, what I'm talking about consistently is actually the interaction and engaging with your network. Okay. I do not want you to be on LinkedIn all day. But that's ridiculous. That and then some people accuse me of it. I mean, you know, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've had people come up after a seminar after I've shown them what I do on LinkedIn and how I do it on LinkedIn and all that good stuff, and, and they come up to me and they go, Jeff, you really need a life <laughs> because all you ever do is spend time on LinkedIn. And I'm going, no, 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 you missed the point. I spend a certain amount of time on LinkedIn every single day, and then I go off and do what I really need to do, which is networking. I get to do podcasts and all kinds of other neat stuff. Yeah. Okay. It, but, but from that standpoint, just spend some time each day. And there's even an article that I put out there on my profile. If, if somebody goes find, goes and finds it, I did this you know, in, in response to that, Jeff, you need a life because I put an article out there that says th- five things you can do on LinkedIn in less than 20 minutes a day. And so, and those things are all about networking. Those things are all about building your brand. Those things are all about engaging with an audience. And and again, you know, one of the, one of the common misconceptions about LinkedIn is that you just put something out there, and it's a field of dreams. People will come. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I know that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. You actually have to go out there and interact with people and engage with people. And when you do, things really start to roll. But you have to do that consistently as well. So for anyone listening that is super newbie. When you say interacting, you mean with other people's posts and content. That's correct. Yeah. But I also mean by intera- by interaction, putting some of yourself out there okay. as well, putting your own posts out there. Um, for me, one of the things that has made me the LinkedIn guru, okay, as I said, I'm not the LinkedIn guru, except for the fact that my network calls me on the, the LinkedIn guru. I don't, you know, I, I started using the name, that's right. But I, I have no right to that name unless they actually say I'm a guru at it. And so from that standpoint, one of the things that I do is I make sure that for myself, outgoing, okay, there are at least two posts a week. I do a tip of the week on Monday, and everybody's got tips for somebody else, I would think. They've got experience that somebody could benefit from. So a tip of the week on Monday, and I do something that I call my Good News Friday post on Fridays. And so those two posts have put me, if you will, on the map as far as LinkedIn is concerned. Because people have started to come ex- to expect that I'm going to have a post out there every single week. So yeah, I've got to devote a few minutes to writing a post and then and popping a post out there and figure out what kind of graphic I want on the post because, you know, it is, they don't call those things social media for nothing. Right. Okay. <laughs> so sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's a picture, sometimes it's a thing called a GIF, okay, mm-hmm. the graphic interface file that actually moves. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know I'm a geek. I know what GIF means. Okay. I love it. <laughs> okay. Or people like me that call them... GIF. 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 Yeah. Well, they used to call CIC. See, I'm, I'm, I'm an IT geek, too. And they used to call CICS, which was an online program. They used to call it Kicks. I couldn't stand that. I'm sorry. Anyway. What, um, is there anything you are absolutely not good at? Ooh. Well, there's, 
I have to practice this all the time because I'm not naturally good at listening. Really? Not really. I mean, maybe I've fooled you. I don't know. You have. <laughs> well, I, I, I make a huge effort to do that because I'm such an extrovert and I know how extroverts work. Their mouth turns over before their brain gets in gear. High okay. communicator. Yeah. 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 So so from that standpoint, and, and more than anything else, one of the things that helped me most in terms of not just being a listener and shutting up every once in a while, but really being an active listener. When I used to teach networking classes, I told people that one of the best things you could do is take an active networking class. Because active networking means that you actually are listening to begin with, but you are also processing it and giving it back to the person. Active listening means paraphrasing something back to you. So usually starting the sentence back after you've listened to, to say, oh, I, so what you're saying is, and then phrasing it in your own words, not parroting them, but right. paraphrasing them. Mm-hmm. So that from a, that's a great tool from a networking perspective. And and uh, and it's something that, that I have to practice all the time. I'm not as good a listener as I should be. I hear you on that, and I appreciate your um, commitment to making it an effort. And I just want you to know that I would have never known that or even said that about you because of my interactions with you. You've been a very good listener. So kudos to you for that. Thank you very much. Now, I have another question for you real quick here. Um, is there any... Um, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but is there any stance or kind of belief you have about LinkedIn that a lot of other people don't agree with, but you're like, no, this is, this is really true about LinkedIn, even though it might go against some of the popular um, opinion on something with LinkedIn. Hmm, Good question. Um, I haven't thought about that one a lot. I think uh, I I agree with a lot of people out there. I, I think one of the things that, I said LinkedIn earlier was a sales tool. Okay. Well, here's one of the places where I do disagree with people. Okay. I, I still think it is a sales tool, but it's a sales tool to sell without selling. Hmm. Okay. So many people out there are on LinkedIn and they connect with someone. And then the very first message they send the person that says, thanks for connecting. Would you like to buy my widget? Happens to me every week. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's where I totally disagree yeah. with, with most of those kinds of folks. That's not what it's for. It's about building a relationship. Okay. And again, another, I, I, I've learned so much from these folks that uh, there's a guy in Auckland, New Zealand, okay, that says, as far as LinkedIn is concerned, you need to build a, a re- relationships, not a database. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It, it's perfect. It, it's again, it's just like that why statement I did before. It, it matches exactly the way my value is, is, is concerned on LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn is a relationship building tool. Therefore, it is also a sales tool. Okay, because that's the way you sell is you build relationships that, and the sales come, happen naturally. Okay. I 100% agree with that. We even have a program that's all about that. We, we kind of got tired of sales as usual, which has relied historically really on manipulation and psychological tactics. And we thought this is not, you know, we want to do sales training, but um, we found an organization to partner with us. And now it's like a servant leadership based sales training. And that's one of the concepts, which is that about this relationship and finding the win for the other person and that kind of thing. There's a lot of conversations out there on LinkedIn that talk about social selling. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think the best definition of social selling is selling without selling. <laughs> it's being social. 
yeah. to, to some degree, which means building a relationship, which means, you know, it, the, the folks who are out there who are still old school, and I'm old, but I'm not old school, hopefully, on everything, okay? But the folks who are still out there practicing ABC, as far as sales is concerned, always be closing. Yeah. Forget that. That, yeah. that, that is so gone. And, and as a matter of fact, one of the things that I've heard so many times also about LinkedIn related to sales as well is that it's also killed the cold call because you don't need to. Sure, you could still do cold calls. You could still print, send out email blasts and those kinds of things. But it's not about cold calls anymore. It's about building a relationship again. And that's how you sell stuff. Is there anything else you think we should know about the LinkedIn guru? Ah, about me? <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. Uh, other than the fact that I, I'll say it one more time, I love to teach. Yeah. So, you know, if, if anybody wants to be of help to me, all they'd have to do is go out there and check out my profile, come to one of my sessions, ask me the question. Come and play the game show that I love to play. Stump the guru. (laughs) You know what? Um, The whole time that you've been talking, I have been listening to you, but I've also been thinking, and I've been thinking about who you sound like, and I figured it out. Do you remember the old DJ? You won't. You're too young, Jonathan. The old DJ, not old age, but I mean, I don't think he does it anymore. Casey Kasem. My gosh, I've been told that before. You sound like him. I'm like, who is that? I wish I had Casey Kasem's voice. You do. It was, um, what did he do? Like the top Top 40, 40. 40, was it every Saturday or something? Years and years, yeah. I used to listen to him all the time. I'm like, who is this? Who is this? And I'm trying to place it. It's Casey Kasem. I mean, there's wow, a flashback a to my childhood right there. <laughs> so, You're only like the LinkedIn guru, Casey Kasem. Uh, so you could, you do have a very distinct voice. You could do vocal stuff for good, sure. Good grief. You already told us, I always ask people before we end how they can connect with you. You said LinkedIn. Is there any other way that people can connect with you that you'd like to point them to? Well, of course, come to one of the seminars um, uh, and, 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 or, and or find out someone that that I, they know that I know, okay, a, a common connection and connect through them as far as an introduction is concerned. Uh, I, again, one of the, the best uses, I think, as far as LinkedIn is concerned, is finding someone who's got a need, finding someone who can fulfill that need and introducing those two people on LinkedIn. Okay. And so that's exactly what I'd, I'd love to have introductions. Well, it has been a delight having you on the Slapcast, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you. It's the fastest half hour I've had all week. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs>